Hi, and welcome to the KC Praxis Teaching of the Week. We hope that you enjoy this message from Liz Devon. If you guys have your Bibles with you, we're going to be looking at um, John chapter 21 and Psalm chapter 30. We're going to be spending the bulk of our time in the Gospel of John, but we're going to be referencing Psalm 30 throughout tonight. John chapter 21. Yep. And this is always one of those interesting Sundays. It's after Easter, after we've celebrated Easter, but not quite when we celebrate Jesus' ascension to heaven, not quite when we celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's just kind of an in-between Sunday. Uh, the lectionary calls it the third Sunday of Easter, and that's all the title that there is to it. So it's not even like ooh, a special one. It's just kind of the third one after we celebrated this. Um, so for tonight, I was looking at trying to think what to talk about, and I went to the lectionary um, to kind of get the scriptures for today. And for those of you who don't know, the lectionary is a guide that churches around the world use when they study scripture together. So these two chapters that we're going to be looking at, John 21 and Psalm 30, have been read all around the world today by different churches and different believers. That's something kind of special that we're going to join them in doing. There's like five scriptures, I think, today. We're only going to go through two, otherwise we would be here for a lot longer today. So, At our Easter sunrise gathering, Jake talked about the end of the Gospel of Mark. Mark is a gospel that is written to Roman believers, so there's a lot of action, a lot of sudden movements, uh, which is why the ending of the gospel wouldn't have surprised its original readers, but it seems rather abrupt to us. And this is what it says in Mark 16:8. It says, they went out and ran from the tomb, and this is the tomb that Jesus was buried in. So the disciples went out, ran from the tomb, so they've already been there, ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. And that ends the Gospel of Mark. Now, there are other verses there, verses 9 through 20, but it's believed that those were kind of added afterwards to kind of maybe soften the ending of the Gospel of Mark. Ooh, I can hear myself now. Um, but, you know, what a way to end it, verse 8. And the Gospel of John is almost the exact opposite. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 say this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, to me, what a great way to end the gospel. Ends it, gives kind of hope and inspiration, but then there's a whole other chapter that seems like almost an addition to, to, the gospel, to that chapter 20. Here's chapter 21 now. And it seems to kind of come out of nowhere, but we're going to read chapter 21 today. And I think there's something really special that goes along with John chapter 21 and Psalm 30. So keep that in mind as we are reading through this. We're going to read verses 1 through 3 right now. John 21, 1 through 3. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. And they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. And isn't it interesting? After spending three years with Jesus, when the disciples didn't know what to do, they went back to what they knew best. And in this case, it was fishing. 
I was in a, a group uh, meeting this week with a couple pastors, and we were briefly talking about this passage. It just kind of came up in the middle of what we were discussing. And one of them said, I don't blame the disciples for going fishing. It's what any of us would have done, but I believe that the things they talked about on that boat had to be different than what they talked about before they had met Jesus. They had a different lens. They had a different perspective. They were different after spending three years with Jesus. They had to be. They were not the same fishermen. And I believe that. After walking with Jesus, even the normal things would have to be different. These disciples had to be living life with a different perspective and lens. After all, they watched Jesus perform these amazing miracles. They watched as he died. They saw him alive again. And there is no way that fishing was going to be the same. So let's keep reading verse 4. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, he called to them, you don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large amount of fish. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, also known as John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and plunged into the sea. Since they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. This scene would have been very familiar to the disciples. It's almost like a deja vu moment. If you, look and you turn to your Bibles in Luke chapter 5, we're going to read about another time Jesus met his disciples on the shore while they're fishing. This, so this conversation in Luke 5 takes place three years before this conversation in John 21. Luke 5 says this. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little farther from the land. He sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said, Simon, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let your nets down for a catch. Master, Simon replied, and you can almost hear the like, frustration and sarcasm coming out of Simon's mouth. We've worked hard all night long and have caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. And when they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he, and all those who were, were all, for he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. And they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. It's almost the exact same story happening three years later on a sea. Disciples who at this point, I mean, they're pretty mediocre fishermen who can't seem to catch anything unless Jesus is standing there. But this is when Jesus and Peter are introduced to each other. Peter had no idea who Jesus was when they first met. Peter, who would be elevated to one of Jesus' best friends. Through the Gospels, we watch as this mediocre fisherman becomes one of Jesus's, like, most confident, like, a confidant to Jesus. He had front row seat to every miracle. He had Jesus's attention and got to see some things that a lot of the other disciples didn't get to see. Peter, who boasted that no matter what, he would follow Jesus to the end, 
only to deny that he even knew Jesus when Jesus needed him most. He abandoned him. If you ever have a chance to read through the Gospels and read uh, you know, Peter's behavior through it, it's super interesting. He always had the best intentions, but always said the dumbest things at the worst time. The worst possible moment, Peter says something. And yet Jesus still chose him. Jesus still trained him. And Jesus still loved him. And we see in both the stories of Luke and John that Peter is going to respond to Jesus' call to follow him. Let's keep reading in John 21, verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he, was, after he was raised from the dead. I had dinner with a friend last night and asked her what she thought of this passage. And she said, what I see here is that even after all that happened leading up to the weeks of this conversation with Jesus and the disciples on the beach, Jesus deeply cared for his disciples. He took, he took care of them. He loved them. And he made sure that their needs were met, and he even made them breakfast. Jesus, who was betrayed, crucified, and died, and was raised back from the dead, still loved his friends enough to make them breakfast. His friends who left him, abandoned him. His friends who hid when things got tough. His friends who broke their promises to him. They were still his friends. And he still loved them, despite their shortcomings. And I don't know who needs to hear this tonight, but your shortcomings do not disqualify you from the love and care of God. Even our darkest moments, and I don't know what those are in your life, and I'm not going to pretend to know what they are, his love for you has never wavered. And when I read this passage, I notice that even before the disciples bring the fish to shore, if you look at it, Jesus is already cooking fish. He didn't actually need them to do anything. N.T. Wright wrote that we are foolish to think that our hands are the only hands that Jesus has in this world. Jesus is more than capable of getting things done without us, but there is always an invitation for us to work with him. He asked the disciples for them, some of their fish, not because he needed it, but because he wanted that. He wanted to invite them into the story. And for someone like me, and I'm sure this is same for a lot of us in this room, when things get tough, we can kind of bury ourselves in the work. I can work and work and work and work. But it's the reminder that the weight of the world is literally not on my shoulders. Jesus will accomplish what he wants to accomplish with or without me. He's never asked me to solve the world's problems. But he always invites me to work with him. He always invites you to work with him. He has invited me to work in my neighborhood, in some local schools. He's invited me to work with him in Lodi, and that is enough for me. If he calls me to go somewhere else, I will go and do that. But for now, this is where he has me. So continue in verse 15. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told them. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told them. 
he asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying all of this, he told him, follow me. The tone of this, in this part of the passage has changed. There's a formality to it. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has called Peter, Peter, or Simon Peter. But in this passage, he calls him Simon, son of John. It's kind of like my name. So I go by Liz. Um, my full name is Elizabeth Ann. Uh, and when I'm in trouble at my mom's house, and my mom is sitting in the back, and she can say it in the right tone, um, when Elizabeth Ann is said in a certain tone, I know that I'm in trouble, and I know that something really serious is about to happen to me. And so Elizabeth Ann is not a name that I want to hear very often. It is also the name of the Davis family's newest kitten, because um, I gave it to their daughter. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so my four-year-old niece has discovered this. She forever has called me Is. Um, which is, I'm thankful for, because the L sound is really hard for little kids to learn. And so it was either going to be is or whiz. <laughs> thankful for is. Um, and one night at our family dinner, just maybe two months ago, she looked up from her food right in the middle of the, like we were all just talking, and she said, hey, Elizabeth Ann. And there was like a physical shudder that happened in like my body. Like I was like, oh my gosh, something like bad has happened. But She's just looking at me smiling, and like she knew now what she could say to get like a reaction out of me. So she'll just randomly say it, and I'll immediately turn because I'll think, oh my gosh, I'm in trouble. I'm nine years old, and I'm in trouble at my mom's house again. You know, just that feeling. And this is kind of the tone that Jesus is taking with Peter. This is serious. What I'm asking you isn't a joke. What I'm asking you isn't, this is a serious question. Do you love me? And each time, Peter says, yes. Jesus wants Peter to focus on what, he has, what he's saying. Jesus doesn't use words very flippantly. It's always very intentional. And Jesus is calling Peter back and restoring him. Jesus is making a point to Peter in this passage. At the Last Supper, before Jesus was crucified, Jesus had all his disciples there, and Peter declared to everyone in the room that he would follow Jesus to death if he had to. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Then the disciples and Jesus went to the garden where Jesus was betrayed and taken to be interrogated. And Peter followed closely, but not too close. And three different times, around three different fires, Peter was asked if he knew Jesus. And he said no every single time. And sure enough, the third time he denied knowing Jesus, the rooster crowed. And Peter ran away ashamed. And here we have Jesus talking with Peter. Jesus asked Peter if he loves him three times. And all three times, Peter says yes. And this is Jesus' way of reinstating Peter, taking away his guilt and commissioning him to something bigger and something greater. And we see Peter coming to the full realization of who he is in Jesus, that he is loved, he is taken care of, and he has a purpose. And that purpose is going to be to start the church. And Peter is given a lot of responsibility. 
and he accepts it all. And as I think about this part of the passage, Psalm 30 seems to fit really well here. If you want to flip over to that chapter, you can. Um, if not, I can read, so I'll read it for you. Um, the Psalms were songs and poems that were memorized and recited at the temple, similar to the songs that we have today. Each Psalm had a different purpose and would be recited at a different time of year, depending on what was going on. Psalm 30 says it was written by David, who was a shepherd, who was made king. And Jesus came from the family line of King David. It was the psalm of thanksgiving for the great deliverances um, that God had brought David through. And as a young boy, Peter would have heard this psalm at some point. And these words that are repeated often in different psalms would be rattling around in his head a little bit. And as I read this psalm, maybe you don't want to follow along, like read it with me. Maybe you just want to sit and listen to the words, and that's okay. Maybe you want to picture Peter and Jesus talking on the shore. Maybe you want to think about some situation you are currently in or have just walked through. There are hints of restoration all over this psalm. And that invitation for restoration is still available to us today. So I'm going to read Psalm 30. Here we go. I will exalt you, Lord, because you have lifted me up and have not allowed my enemies to triumph over me. Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. Lord, you brought me up from Sheol. You spared me from among those going down to the pit. Sing to the Lord, you, you his faithful ones, and praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime. Weeping may stay overnight, but there is joy in the morning. When I was secure, I said I will not, never be shaken. Lord, when you showed your favor, you made me stand like a strong mountain. And when you hid your face, I was terrified. Lord, I called to you. I sought favor from my Lord. What gain is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your truth? Lord, listen and be gracious to me. Lord, be my helper. You turned my lament into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness so that I can sing to you and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Now remember, this was written many generations before Jesus had this conversation with Peter. But think of some of the similarities and emotions that David wrote about that Peter may have experienced. Here are just two examples. His anger only lasts for a moment, but his favor a lifetime. Weeping may stay overnight, but joy comes in the morning. The joy Peter must have felt to be fully restored from a place of total regret could not be contained. He understood what Jesus was telling him. And I can only imagine that he was praising God because he was not abandoned and left to his own devices, but he was fully seen and known by a God who loves him. So let's finish this chapter. And this is probably my favorite part because this next part is totally me and what I do in my life. In verse 20. So after all of this that Jesus has told Peter, Peter turned around and saw the disciple that Jesus loved following him. And one, the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one who is going to betray you? So all of this is describing John. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? If I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. Isn't that just like us, though? Here, Peter has this beautiful moment with Jesus where Jesus is commissioning him to lead and to guide his church, really empowering him to take up this leadership role. And what is Peter's response? 
What about him? What do you have for him? And you can almost hear the eye roll from Jesus in this, like, focus, Peter. If I want him to remain until I come back, what is that to you? Follow me. Your job is to follow me. And the comparison game is a tough one. It's a problem that you'll, it's a game that you're just never going to win. And it's always going to steal your joy. And Jen, who is not here tonight, Jen, we're taking attendance, not here. Um, she said it, we were talking about calling a few weeks ago, and she said, you cannot compare your calling with someone else's calling. It's so easy to look around at those around us um, and compare what they're doing with what we're doing. And Jesus is telling us to stop it. Stop that. He has a reason and a purpose for us, and it doesn't matter that it looks completely different than the purpose he has for someone else because he is going to use both. The most important part is that you are following Jesus. Jesus has called each of us to follow him. Eugene Peterson said that obedience is a long walk in the same direction. Following Jesus in your calling is an act of obedience. The good thing about long walks in the same direction is that it's not necessarily a straight walk. There are times where we'll have to stop and take a break. There are times where we get a little off course and need some course direction. Maybe we take a wrong turn and we need someone to literally pick us up and put us back in the right direction. But all of that is an act of faith. All of that is part of the journey. And all of this is following Jesus. And that is what we're called to do. We follow a God who has not given up on us or abandoned us, we follow a God who even when we have betrayed and walked away from him, he still meets us and he loves us and he takes care of our needs. He still calls us and has a purpose for us. We take a God who will take all of our mistakes, heartbreaks and disasters, our embarrassments, whatever it may be, he takes all of those and he restores us to who we are supposed to be. And Jake and Allie are going to come up with a practice in just a second, but I thought I would just read this section of Psalm 30 one more time because it just stuck out to me this week while I was studying. You turned my lament into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness so that I can sing to you and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. We hope that you enjoyed this week's teaching. To connect with us and for more resources, you can find us on social media as Casey Praxis or email us at caseypraxis at 180lodi.org.